right, guys, welcome. This is episode seven of the Bearsy podcast. For anyone that's new to the podcast, my name is Derek. I am a YouTuber, content creator, and apparently now a podcast host, or at least I'm trying to be. Now, quick disclaimer, today's podcast is going to be just for fun, nothing about self-improvement or life or YouTube. I just wanted to do a podcast strictly about the NBA and fantasy basketball, mainly because I am still brand new to podcasting. I'm still learning how to do this whole thing, and I figured it would be a good idea to record one episode about something that I enjoy. So I get used to this whole talking to the camera by myself and having a podcast by myself, as today we won't be having any guests on. So so yeah, quick, quick disclaimer, it's all fantasy basketball in today's episode. So the type of fantasy basketball that I'm going to be talking about is Yahoo Fantasy Basketball where you draft a whole team which is completely different than daily fantasy. Now, to put some context on where I'm coming from, I have been playing fantasy basketball, as you can see here, since 2011. Uh, so that's, what, nine seasons or so. And in total, I have 475 uh, matchups won, 160 losses, and 17 ties for a win percentage of 74.2%. Now that's pretty decent. I like to think that I'm a, an above average fantasy player as I do dive into the stats a lot and think deeply about fantasy basketball as it is something that I enjoy to do in my pastime. Now I don't play for extraordinarily large sums of money, usually just like $20 leagues. So the competition that I face is just mostly friends and casual NBA fans. So by no means am I claiming to be some sort of fantasy expert or whatever. But I like to think that I do better than the average person. As you can see, a 74% win um, rate is pretty good considering the ups and downs of drafting a fantasy team where you do have injuries and all that kind of stuff. So in today's podcast, I want to talk about one of the leagues from last season, my philosophies and reasoning for how I draft players, why I draft players, and the overall strategies that I use to build my team. As it's not as easy as you think, or it is easy, but if you think deeply about fantasy, there's a lot of complexities in terms of team building and strategy. So I want to quickly go into one of my leagues. Obviously, it didn't finish because of the lockout. So we weren't able to finish the league off. But this was a 12-team league right here, as you can see. And let's see. Okay, so... I'm going to be going over each round of the draft, the reasoning behind my picks, and my over my general strategy and my league-specific strategy, because I think there is a clear distinction between the type of strategy that you should use generally and the type of strategy you should use for the specific league you're in. For example, if you are playing in a $100 or $200 league, where you know that the level of competition 
is going to be that much greater and that much difficult. You obviously need to adjust your strategy accordingly. Now, if you are playing in a friendly league with a bunch of your friends, then, you know, it's a lot different. So this league, I believe the buy-in was $20 or $25. And the majority of people are um, friends or acquaintances. And we got a standard rules going, 12 teams um, with, I'm not sure if it was top six for playoffs or top eight. Because uh, that does make a difference because a top six playoff format means that the top two teams get a buy. So there's more incentive for you to do well during the regular season. Now, I can't remember exactly um, if it was top six or top eight, but regardless. Okay, so let's go over the draft. Now, in this year's draft, or I guess I should, I guess I should call it last year's draft because it's 2019. In last year's draft, it was a top five heavy draft where if you got one of the first five picks, you had a clear advantage over the other seven teams because in my opinion, the tier, the, the first tier first tier of players in picks one through five were so much better than the players available in picks six through 12. And those picks are pretty obvious as the top five players or Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Steph Curry, and Carl Anthony Towns. And then after those five, you have like a huge drop off like Jokic, Embiid, Lillard type of thing. And unfortunately for me in this draft, I end up getting pick nine, which, you know, is not the best, but it's still manageable and First, I want to talk about, actually, before I go into the draft, first, I want to talk about this, my general strategy and general philosophy I have for fantasy basketball. And my general strategy is that I try to let all the other teams beat themselves. And I try to draft my team as safe as possible. Now, a lot of people have the mindset that you need to always be making the best possible pick or you need to be picking the most optimal players whenever you can. And that is true, like you want to get value out of your picks. But in leagues like this where you are playing, um, I wouldn't say casual players, but you're playing friends, and it's not as super competitive as a really high money league, that I think a general strategy of letting your opponents beat themselves works the far majority of the time. So for this league, I enter the draft with this, with the mindset of just drafting safe, drafting players that have good history of playing 70 plus games, avoiding players that have injury risks in the past, avoiding players that had injuries from the previous season or have had histories of sitting out the last two weeks of the regular season to rest. As in fantasy basketball, the most annoying thing is when the playoff starts and the money is on the line. It's usually around the time when the teams that are locked into the playoffs, they rest their best players. So it's kind of stupid if your first pick doesn't even play for you during the fantasy playoffs. It's basically almost a useless pick because you only get to utilize him for the regular season. So I, I take that into consideration whenever I draft, especially in the first two rounds, because 
this is the knock, for example, with LeBron James is if he's on a team where you know he's going to finish in the top two seeds and he's had a history of always wrestling the last couple weeks and then he doesn't play for you in the playoffs and it's just really, really annoying when your team is so focused and centered around one specific player like LeBron. So let's get into round one. And to no surprise, the first pick was Anthony Davis. This is complete no-brainer. He basically does nothing poorly at all. He gives you good field goal, good free throw, a couple three-pointers here and there, good points, amazing rebounds, couple assists, and elite defensive stats, including both one-and-a-half steals, two-and-a-half blocks, and very efficient in terms of turnovers as well. He is basically a player in terms of statistics that is a dream for a nine-category league. And he has absolutely no weaknesses except for the fact that he is somewhat injury-prone and kind of frail. But even if he does play only like 68 games, 65 games in past seasons, he's still performed at number one in terms of value. He's just that good. So first pick, Anthony Davis, no surprise. Second pick is Steph Curry. Uh, I was a little surprised by this pick. Um, not, not because of Curry, but I always feel like James Harden is kind of the same as Curry, but more durable and more usage. And I know that there is an argument to say that Harden's value went down because of Russell Westbrook joining Houston. But generally for me, I always prefer Harden over Curry, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. And then third went we went with uh, third pick was Harden, fourth pick was Giannis, and fifth pick was Carl Anthony Towns. So like I said before, having one of these top five picks, you can't really go wrong. It's all a kind of about personal preference. Now the one interesting thing here is if you do pick Giannis, you kind of have to have the mindset of complementary players that go along with Giannis because he's going to tank your free throw percentage. So you're going to have to make a concerted effort to try to get someone like Ben Simmons or Andre Drummond in the latter rounds. So if you do pick Giannis, you need to be aware of the type of strategy you want to use moving forward. But the other four, you can basically do anything. Now, now that the top five picks were, are gone, we're going to go into six, which was Nikola Jokic, which is, again, perfectly fine. He's, he's just solid, great pick. Seven was Embiid. Um, Kind of similar to Jokic, but with more upside, but also comes with injury risk. And now when we got to eight, this was where the person in front of me, I was really hoping that they would draft Beal, LeBron, or Kyrie. Because Damian Lillard is one of my favorite fantasy picks in terms of basically durability, consistency, and health. He's just... So consistent year after year, he'll play 78 plus games almost every season. He's great at almost all categories. And he's just a type of player that fits my let your opponents beat themselves strategy perfectly. He's just a really, really safe pick. And that's exactly what I want for in the first round. And Portland is also one of those teams that are, they made the Western Conference Finals the year before, I believe. But they might be fighting for the 6, 7, 8 seed. 
So in terms of the fantasy playoffs, he will probably be playing in the last week or the last two weeks, which is a huge plus for me. Now, this is going to be a common theme in this draft where this guy that picks in front of me, he seems to keep picking the players that I like. And sure enough, he does take Lillard 8, leaving me at 9 with the choices of Bradley Beal, LeBron, or Kyrie. Now, for me, I have... I wouldn't call it a rule, but I almost never, ever draft Kyrie Irving. It's basically the opposite of Damian Lillard. He might have more upside than Lillard, might shoot better field goal percentages, more flashy. Like He has these huge games, but his injury risk is so high that I never consider drafting him in the first round. So basically here at 9, my only options were Bradley Beal or LeBron James. Now normally... I will always go with LeBron James as he kind of does almost everything except for free throws. And this series actually qualifies for point guard, small forward, and power forward, where Beal only qualifies for shooting guard. Now, the reason why I went with Beal here is Bradley Beal in the last two seasons, he played 82 games. He played two full complete seasons. And LeBron was just coming off that 55-game season where he injured his grind with the Lakers. So there was a lot of what-ifs surrounding LeBron. And also, he has Anthony Davis as a teammate who would use up a lot of usage, which I still don't really think it would affect him that much because he's still kind of like a pass-first player. So he gets tons of value from assists and the peripheral statistics. But mainly because of the injury risk and how... Washington has nobody. They basically have no one on that team. John Wall is injured for the whole year. So Bradley Beal is kind of going to move into that shooting guard, point guard role. And he's going to have a ton of usage. And the added bonus of him playing 82 games in both the past two seasons was just a plus for me. So I went with Beal. Now, this is uh, my brother who picked after me. He went with LeBron, which is good. Uh, 11 went with Kyrie, which in my opinion... Again, really bad pick, and it's funny because he eventually changed his name to fucking Kyrie because Kyrie did end up getting injured. Now we go to the end of round one, which was Kemba Walker. Oh, and here's another interesting thing. At the end of round one, because I picked Bradley Beal, for round two, I really needed a point guard to complement Bradley Beal. And I wanted one of... Uh, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Kemba Walker, or Drew Holiday. And I didn't want Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, or Paul George because of the positional, um, the positional, uh, what would you call it? It's like the same as Beal. Like Beal's a shooting guard, Kawhi's a shooting guard, Butler's a shooting guard. Paul, like it's, they're like kind of like the same position. And it's kind of rough when your first two picks, you don't get a point guard. So I was hoping for one of those four. Now, unfortunately for me, in the second round, the guy who picked Kyrie took Kawhi Leonard, which this this is the one, or I guess the second pick, which in my opinion is a huge mistake, where his first two picks are two players with tremendous upside, but huge injury risk potential and huge risk of DNPs and do not plays, which both Kawhi Leonard and Kyrie Irving are known for. Like, 
you're hoping to get what 65 to 68 games out of them and those are both of your first two picks i understand with going with one safe pick say like you get carl anthony towns and then getting like a Kyrie or Kawhi because then you have some sort of balance you have one player that is super durable and then you have a kind of high upside player but using both of your first two picks on players like that in my opinion is a mistake which you know it's it's up to your own opinion but that's something I obviously would never do Uh, and then Luca got taken after Kawhi and I got my point guard in Trey Young so I was happy here getting Trey Young because I can pair Trey Young with Bradley Beal for my backcourt. And they kind of synergize each other really well. They both are high scoring, high usage, with a lot of three-point shooting, good free throws. So they kind of complement each other well. Okay, so now going through round two after Trey Young was Jimmy Butler, who was paired with Damian Lillard. That's pretty good. And then Paul George who got paired with Joel Embiid, Chris Stapps, Nikola Vucevic, Ben Simmons at nine, who got paired with Giannis. Okay, so this guy is paying attention. You see how in the first round, this guy took Giannis, which is a player that tanks your free throw percentage. And he obviously needs a player of similar synergy. And Ben Simmons is a perfect pick. He also Andre Drummond is also available. I feel like either of these are really great picks. Uh, after Simmons was Drummond, at 11 was Rudy Gobert, and 12 was Pascal Siakam, which was really high. Now, this was really interesting because Kawhi Leonard had just left Toronto, so everyone knew that Pascal was going to be the best player on the Toronto Raptors, and he was going to have high usage. Now, at the time, I felt like this was way too high for Pascal as a second round pick but in hindsight in hindsight in hindsight uh, Pascal ended up being really good for the Raptors and he had a breakout season so this pick worked out really good for this guy okay so now moving into round three um, I have my point guard I have my shooting guard so it looks like based off my first two picks I'm going to be going with a strategy geared towards scoring, free throw shooting, three-point shooting, assists, and steals. So more the guard-oriented strategy. Now, this is where you can um, this is where you can kind of switch it up and change to a more specific strategy based on the players you draft. So, for example, because I have two guard-heavy stat players. It kind of looks like I'll build a team that doesn't really need blocks. So it could be a a strategy where I completely punt blocks, for example. Kind of like how Giannis is going for the punt free throw. um, Punt free throw option. Okay, so round three starts off with Devin Booker and then Miles Turner. John Collins was a third pick in round three, which is interesting because... He ended up getting a 25-game a twenty-five suspension due to steroids. Now, I can't remember if we knew that beforehand or not. I'm not sure. It's, it's been a while. But anyways, that pick was very interesting. Uh, four was Donovan Mitchell. Five was Jason Tatum, which is an amazing pick right here. Jason Tatum, he ended up having an amazing season and performed 
like a lot better than expected. He had, I guess you would consider it a breakout year because he did end up being an all-star. Next was Draymond Green, who ended up having a pretty poor season. Russell Westbrook, Mitchell Robinson, and then I was up next. And I had a couple options here. So I was willing to go with any of these next four players of De'Aaron Fox, DeAndre Ayton, D'Angelo Russell, or Jaron Jackson Jr. Now, in terms of fantasy, I really like JJJ because he's kind of one of those players, he's a big that gets you threes, but he also gets you steals and blocks, kind of like a AD Anthony Davis light, and he has really high upside because he's young. But like I said before, it looks like I was going to build a team based on point guards or more shooting dominant players. So I kind of decided to pass on JJJ. And for somewhat of the same reason, I passed on Aiton, even though Aiton's not as big on defensive stats. But my decision here was between De'Aaron Fox and D'Angelo Russell. Now, the thing I like about Russell is he does qualify for both point guard and shooting guard. But for me, De'Aaron Fox has just so much upside. And he's one of those players that he could easily have a breakout season, kind of like Pascal Siakam. And he's also on a team that's really poor in Sacramento, where he's going to have the ball all the time. So he's going to have all the usage. So I went with De'Aaron Fox to pair him with Trey Young and Bradley Beal. So after Fox, the last picks of the third round were Aiton, Russell, and Jaron Jackson. Okay, so now we enter into the fourth round. So now in the fourth round, I'm feeling pretty confident. I have my three backcourt players. I have two point guards and one shooting guard. So now in the fourth round, I definitely need a center. Now I'm looking for a center that I don't really need blocks. So it doesn't have to be a big man that that blocks. It can be anything. And I specifically target this player almost every single year I play fantasy, and that's LaMarcus Aldridge. He is just the definition of consistency. He'll play 75-plus games every single season. He'll give you 18 points, 9 boards, great percentages, low turnovers, a steal and a block here or there, but I don't really care about those. And he's just so consistent, so durable, and so reliable. It's just a player I absolutely love in fantasy, even though he is getting he is getting older, but every year I target this player. So I was really hoping to get Aldridge here, and for me, the first pick of round four was Buddy Heald, second pick was Markinen, and third pick was Blake Griffin. So it, this ended up working out absolutely perfect for me. I got the center that fits the synergy of my team well. I got the player that is durable and reliable, and this also fits in my strategy of just letting my opponents beat themselves. I'm just building up this nice, consistent team of reliable players that are probably going to play 70-plus games. You never know that for sure. But for me, I just have I just feel confident drafting them knowing that they've had seasons in the past where they rarely miss any games. So round four went absolutely perfect for me. I got LMA. So after Aldridge... Chris Middleton went, and then Chris Paul. Chris Paul ended up being a great pick here. After Chris Paul was Conley, Mike Conley, who ended up being a terrible pick here. 
Uh, then we end the round with Jamal Murray, Zion Williamson, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and CJ McCollum. Okay, so so far entering round five, we're looking pretty good. We got our three guards and we got our center. So uh, what was I looking for in, I think in round five, uh, I was open to just the best player, I think. Um, I got my main type of guys, but I think in this round, I was really targeting Bam at a bio as before the season started, Bam was, I was very high on Bam as I felt like he would have a, a huge breakout year for Miami. And he's a guy that has a ton of upside. And for me, he is very durable. So I remember in this round, I was really targeting Bam at a bio and let's see how round five went. So First pick around five was Robert Covington, which is, man, this guy is such a bizarre player because he qualifies for small forward, power forward, and center. Next was Tobias Harris. Third was Eric Bledsoe. Then Kyle Lowry. And then Clint Capella. And now, unfortunately, after Clint Capella at six, bam, Adebayo was picked. So whenever this happens where you have a player that you are set on picking, it's always good in your mind to think of, say, if someone does take BAM, what is my backup plan? Who am I going to switch to, right? Because you always need to assume that your guy is not always going to be there on the board when you want him, right? So after BAM went, I had basically no idea where I wanted to go. And this was a mistake that I made this round. I remember specifically because... I remember when Bam got picked, I was like, oh, shit, like Bam's gone. Now what do I do? And I had no backup plan in mind of where to go, as I thought that Bam would probably go in the sixth or seventh round. I didn't expect him to go in round five. But that's just, you know, how it goes sometimes. And after Bam went Otto Porter and then Al Horford. So next was me and... On the board, there was Brooke Lopez, Aaron Gordon, Julius Randle, Thomas Bryant, and a bunch of other players. Now, for me, Aaron Gordon seemed like the best pick, as I have two point guards already, I have a shooting guard, and I have a power forward center. So I don't have anyone that's filling the small forward role right now. And Aaron Gordon is a fairly durable player that has decent usage in Orlando. He doesn't really give you the defensive stats, but again, I'm not really going for that. So I consider going for Aaron Gordon. Uh, I don't like Julius Randle at all. Thomas Bryant is pretty good in terms of upside. But this was a pick that ended up being really weird for me. And I went, for, I went with Brooke Lopez. Now, this pick kind of contradicts my previous strategy of you know, like punting blocks type of thing because I was building a team where I didn't really need blocks, right? But Brooke Lopez is such a bizarre player because he's a center that doesn't rebound well, but he has elite blocks and he actually really good at shooting threes. So I kind of decided at this point, is it worth it to get Aaron Gordon or should I pivot and take a player that can give me elite blocks at center as you know, LaMarcus Aldridge can give me one block a game. He's not terrible, so it's something. So I can pivot from punting blocks to now maybe going towards 
a team that specializes in three-point shooting that also is pretty good at blocks. So this pick ended up being kind of weird. Um, I think the other part of the, other part of the reasoning why I picked Brook Lopez was strictly because of his durability. Now I know in the past he did have a lot of foot issues and injuries when he was in Brooklyn, but on Milwaukee he had a, he was coming off a great season the season before and he's playing off of Giannis, so he'll have plenty of wide open threes, and he's a beast at protecting the rim or just going for blocks. So I end up going with Brook Lopez again, kind of weird. Um, but sometimes your plans don't always turn out as you expect them, and you kind of just have to go with it, go with the flow. So I took Brooke Lopez there at 9, and after Lopez was Aaron Gordon, Julius Randle, and Thomas Bryant rounding, uh, finishing up round 5. Okay, so now going into round 6, we have two point guards, one shooting guard, and two centers, which one of them qualifies for power forward. Now, we still don't have anyone that qualifies for small forward. So in round six, I definitely wanted to get a player that was um, that was eligible for that small forward positioning. Now, first pick of round six was John Morant, which is a really nice pick. He ended up being really good. Second pick was Kevin Love, which I absolutely dislike. I never like picking Kevin Love. He's another player that is always injured, never reliable, and it's just, I don't know, he's just rough. Uh, third was Marvin Bagley. And fourth, I had a decision here. Now, my main decisions that I was mulling over was Shai Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Richardson, uh, RJ Barrett, or Kelly Oubre. Now, I had a lot of flexibility here, and... Obviously, the worst pick of those four would be R.J. Barrett as he is a rookie. So I had little to no interest there. I had basically none. Um, I was really high on Shai Gilgis as he was just traded from the Clippers to OKC. And he would be in a position where he'd have pretty big usage as OKC gutted their whole team. Josh Richardson is probably more reliable, which fits in my strategy of just, you know, picking the steady pick. But he also got moved to Philadelphia, which he'll probably have low usage due to Embiid and Simmons and uh, Tobias Harris. So I don't know. So Josh Richardson, the usage was down, so it looked kind of rough. Now, Kelly Oubre is interesting because he's on Phoenix, a team that's notoriously bad. And he would probably get starting or starter minutes at small forward. And Kelly Oubre is surprisingly a really good fantasy player. He has sneaky good defensive stats. Uh, he gets these random outbursts of threes. So right here, I was really torn between Shai Gilgis-Alexander and Kelly Oubre. Now, the one nice thing about Shai Gilgis-Alexander is he qualifies for point guard, shooting guard, and small forward, which is really nice. Whenever I am like torn between two players where they're almost identical, I could basically flip a coin and go with either one of them. This extra added positional advantage was really nice for me here. So I ended up going with Shai Gilgis-Alexander to round out my pick for round six. So after SGA was Josh Richardson, then Derek Favors, uh, and then Murray, Brogdon, Barrett, Ubre, Gallinari, and Victor Oladipo. 
And I think Victor Oladipo here, he was injured um, before the season started. So that's a huge red flag for me. I basically never pick players where they're coming off an injury and are probably going to miss two to three months, even if they are as good as Victor Oladipo. For me, it's just not worth losing all that value in the beginning of the season. Okay, so round seven is starting, and I'm feeling pretty good about my team. I got two centers. I got my multi-positional small forward in Shy Gilgis. I got Beal, and I got my two point guards in Fox and Trey Young. So I'm looking pretty good. Now, I remember in round seven, I was targeting a specific player in all, pretty much all of my leagues this year. And that was Sabonis, DeMontis Sabonis on Indiana. I was very high on Sabonis this year. I felt like with the injury to Victor Oladipo and the fact that there's no one else really on that team to take up the usage. As Miles Turner, I guess you could, you could consider him as their next best player, but he's not really a high usage guy. So I felt like Sabonis would have a great season. So round seven started off with Larry Nance. Second pick here was Jonathan Isaacs. Uh, Isaac? Isaac? Now this this is a player which I classify as, um, what do you call it, boomer bust or whatever. He's like the ultimate high upside guy, but very rough when it terms in, in terms of durability and consistency. But... When he's healthy, oh man, Jonathan Jonathan Isaac can give you like second, if not first round value. He's crazy. Uh, So Isaac went second, Adams third, Marcus all fourth, Terry Rozier fifth, Lonzo Ball sixth, and Jonas Valanciunas seventh. Now, I was two picks away and Sabonis was still up on the board. And in all my other drafts, I was able to get Sabonis as no one has really drafted him. So again, I made another mistake in this round of assuming that I would get Sabonis and not have a a backup plan or what if he gets taken, who am I going to pivot to? And sure enough, right before me at eight, Sabonis got picked, leaving me with a huge problem. Now, this is where... In my opinion, I made another mistake in this draft as I ended up going with a center in Jared Allen, which in hindsight is a bad pick because the Brooklyn Nets got DeAndre Jordan and you already knew that they would probably be splitting minutes or DeAndre Jordan was going to be cutting into Allen's minutes because the season before Allen started and he was like a pretty elite fantasy player in terms of blocks, rebounds, defensive stats. But Brooklyn signed DeAndre Jordan for, I think it was four years to team up with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So there's no way they're going to pay DeAndre Jordan and not play him. Even if they do start Allen, the risk of him even getting more than 28 minutes was really high. Now, this is where me panicking and not thinking it through and and making a better decision um, was kind of bad for me as if I am going to pick a power forward or center in this spot to pair up with Aldridge and Brooke Lopez, Montrez Harrell was available. And 
he is a huge part of the LA Clippers. So even though he comes off the bench, he plays huge minutes and gets like really good uh, random rebounds, defensive stats, and garbage points. And he's even though he's coming off the bench, if I had to guess, he's probably more likely to get more consistent minutes than Jared Allen. So that was a huge oversight and mistake there. The other thing too is I, for some reason, was stuck in this mindset of I should pick a center here because I was so focused in on Sabonis. I wanted that that big man in round seven that I didn't even really consider that guys like Fred Van Vliet were still available. Brandon Ingram was still available. Just these other guys that were still on the board. And Allen, he didn't end up being a horrible pick, but definitely not a good one in this round. So at nine, I went with, I went with Jared Allen. After Allen was Karis Levert, then Montrez Harrell, then Wendell Carter Jr. to round to finish up round seven. Okay, so round eight started, and round eight was very interesting because there was huge value in this round. There was, I think, three players that end up being massive fantasy picks, and they were Fred Van Vliet, Brandon Ingram, and believe it or not, Hassan Whiteside. Now, to be perfectly honest, I was not on any of these players. Um, I should have known with Fred Van Vliet, like, Kawhi's gone, and Nick Nurse is going to run a lot of lineups with Fred and Lowry. So, you know, that's kind of shame on me. I should obviously know that. Brandon Ingram, I wasn't on Brandon Ingram because I think, didn't he just have blood clots or something with his heart or something? And he was going to New Orleans where there was Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, um, and they had Zion. So... I'm like, is 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 the ball even going to be in Brandon Ingram's hands? Probably not. It's going to be with Lonzo Ball or Drew Holiday, and they're probably going to be, you know, feeding Zion a lot. So I was really skeptical of Brandon Ingram for this season, and also he's just uh, not the most durable player as well. So which ended up being a mistake. And Hassan Whiteside was completely out of left field. I don't think there was anyone on Whiteside, even though Portland, they didn't have Nurkic, who was out for injuries, but whatever the case, I wasn't on any of the, any three of those players. So round eight went started off with Miles Bridges, Fred Van Vliet went second, like I said, a great pick, Brandon Ingram third, again, amazing pick, and I went at four with Joe Ingles. Now, this pick ended up being a poor pick, as Ingles ended up having a really bad season to be honest but the reason I picked Ingles is not because of his consistency and his durability the last couple years it was because I watched the Olympics and I was watching Team Australia a lot and Ingles looked really good like he was playing some really good ball in the Olympics which was just before the season so and I was like wow you know in normal circumstances I like Joe Ingles anyway and watching him play during the Olympics, like he looked great. So I had high hopes for, for Joe. And he has this weird sneaky value of, of giving you really good assists out of the shooting guard position and steals as well. So at four, I went with Joe Ingles here. In hindsight, even if I 
uh, even if I were to drafting, I don't even know if I would have even thought about Hassan Whiteside here, which was kind of weird. But, you know, that's just how it is. Sometimes you can't always make the best picks. So after Ingles, uh, pick five was Lou Williams, then Gordon Hayward, Kyle Kuzma, Hassan Whiteside, and then Andrew Wiggins. Oh, who, Andrew Wiggins ended up being uh, actually a pretty good pick this year. He had a, a pretty good comeback season. After Wiggins was Lamb, Ricky Rubio, and then uh, Bogdanovich at 12 to finish round 8. Okay, so by round 9, I was a little shaky. I wasn't as confident in my team anymore, mainly because of my poor decision-making in round 7 of not getting Sabonis. And when you are drafting your team, it's important to stay calm and collected collected collective i don't even know how to say that properly but it's important to you know stay focused right and don't get derailed by not getting a player that you're after now i remember round nine specifically because i was talking to my brother and and around round nine or ten in my other leagues i was really high on serge abaka mainly because i know how nick nurse likes to run serge at the five a lot and Marcus All is getting kind of old. So I felt like for the Raptors, Surge was going to have a great year. And I also had that like seed of doubt in my mind about um, Jared Allen, where I, even though I picked him, I still wasn't confident on the pick. And so I kind of wanted to make up for that. So going into round nine, I had my hopes. Uh, set on Serge Ibaka, which is fine. But again, I made the same mistake of not thinking of a backup plan in case Serge got picked. So round nine start off with Bridges, then Redick at two, Teague at three, Canner at four, Eric Gordon at five, Gary Harris at six, Dwayne Dedman at seven. And then right before I picked, again, it happens to me, Serge Ibaka at eight. So the guy in front of me took my guy again, and I was in the state where I was panicking and I had no idea what to do. Um, I think, in my opinion, this was probably my worst pick because I ended up going with Terrence Ross at nine. And Terrence Ross is a guy, we all know exactly what he does. He'll score 14 points, he'll get two rebounds, two assists, and maybe a steal, and like nothing. He, he doesn't do like anything else. And that's... That's all he does. He might have these random outbursts where he'll have like a 30-point game here and there, but then he'll follow that 30-point game up with a three-point game or a six-point game right after. And this was a really poor pick, which I I call it a panic pick, I think, because I didn't know really know who else to go after. I didn't have anyone targeted as a backup plan in my mind, so I ended up going with Terrence Ross to fit out my shooting guard and small forward. So after Ross was Sadoransky, Batum, and Brandon Clark to finish round 9. Okay, round 10. Now, this is around the time when the draft gets kind of thin. And especially in a 12-team league, you're getting stuck with a lot of players that are pretty garbage. And I think this is where a lot of people try to gamble and they'll search for high upside players, which is, you know, a fine, which is a fine strategy. But 
what I usually like to do uh, around round 10 or 11 is go for a player that doesn't have as much high upside but has um, upside in minutes, if that makes any sense. So I usually look for players that have a chance to get a bigger role uh, later down in the season. So round 10 started off with uh, Bogdanovich at one, Warren at two, Zach Collins at three. And I was up next and I went with Derek White. Now, I went with Derek White mainly because he has really good fantasy upside when he does get minutes on San Antonio. He's like a sneaky point guard player who, oddly enough, gets steals and blocks. Now, the only problem with this pick is him getting minutes. And I'm not, I can't remember exactly why I would pick him over someone like Marcus Marcus Smart, who you know is going to get guaranteed minutes, who you know exactly is going to give you elite defensive stats. But I ended up going with Derek White here, mostly because of that weird upside that he has. And he's also generally fairly durable. Now, this ended up being a big mistake because the there was a huge value pick in round 10, which was Jalen Brown of Boston. And Marcus Smart also, be, also ended up being a great pick. But in round 10, Jalen Brown was like the ultimate pick here. He ended up having... I guess you can you would consider it a breakout year. He ended up being really good uh, for the Celtics. So I'll finish up round 10 with drafting White. After White was Harris, Smart, JaVale McGee, Paul Millsap, Colin Sexton, Jalen Brown, uh, DeAndre Jordan, and Thaddeus Young. Okay, moving into round 11. Uh, around this time... Um, kind of looking for the same type of strategy. I'm looking for someone that has upside in minutes, that has a potential to play a good amount of minutes, even if they don't have like the really high upside in terms of other stats. Now, round 11 starts off with Patrick Beverly, Justice Winslow, Harrison Barnes. This is a player I never pick. I never draft Harrison Barnes, even though how durable and how much minutes he plays. He basically does nothing for you in fantasy. Uh, so that's a guy I never draft. Next was Spencer Dinwiddie, Alex Len, Clay Thompson, which uh, wasn't even going to play the whole year, but that's fine. Uh, DeLon Wright, Danny Green, and then I was up next. Now, I was considering OG Ananobi. Um, who else was I considering? Kevin Herter, Herter or whatever from Atlanta or uh, Will Barton or Dwight Powell. So I had some options here. Uh, and I ended up going with Dwight Powell because I felt like he was going to get a lot of minutes at the center position with Chris Stapps, Porzingis, mostly playing power forward. And even though Dwight Powell isn't like a huge upside guy at center for stuff like, you know, like getting blocks and defensive stats, but I felt like he had really good potential for his efficiency in terms of field goal percentages field goal percentage and some of his other stats and just the minutes and opportunity that he was going to get on Dallas. So I went with Powell. Uh, after Powell were a couple of great picks in Rui Hashimura and OG Ananobi for the Raptors. And Tyler Hero was a last pick for round 11. Okay, so starting round 12. In round 12, I was really targeting um, either Kevin Herter, 
uh, Will Barton. Um, who else was I targeting? I can't remember. I remember I talking to my brother a lot about Kevin Herter on... Am I even saying his name right? Herter? Who Herder? I don't even know. But anyways, whatever. That's further from the point. Now, round 12 started off with Dario Saric, Will Barton, Kevin Herter, who again gets picked right before me. And here you're kind of in this, like... You're kind of in a crapshoot when you get to round 12. There's so much uncertainty with the players here. I guess the most safe pick probably would have been Evan Fournier as he's a starting shooting guard for Orlando. But end up going with Tarion Prince as I think Brooklyn had no one to place small forward and Prince is probably going to get heavy minutes even though he's a really inefficient player. But Kevin Durant obviously was injured and it seemed like they didn't really have anyone else really to play the the three the three spots so i went with tarian prince so after prince was willie Collystein, then derrick rose rudy gay goran dragic evan fournier olenic tucker and bertans now tucker is a, a player just like robert covington so bizarre he qualifies for small forward power forward and center like pj tucker is six foot six and he qualifies for center like i don't know man that's so strange uh, another actually davis bertans is another really funny pick because i think there ends up being a stretch where bertans goes crazy and he hits like an unbelievable amount of threes and i remember this guy he ended up dominating in the beginning of the season or somewhere in the beginning to middle mostly because of how hot bertans was from downtown which is you know just crazy so that's how round 12 ended and i think we had one more round yeah round 13. okay so now we're basically at the bottom of the barrel so i'm just looking for anyone i think that has a chance of getting minutes like anybody so round 13 started off with nerland's noel rajon rondo schroeder dwight howard Augustine, White, Cam Reddish, Nurkic. And then I was up at nine and I ended up going with Jeremy Grant. Now, the reason I went with Grant here for Denver is because Denver's starting power forward is Paul Millsap, who is a lot older in his career. And he used to be a really great, durable, and consistent player in his prime. But now Millsap has been pretty injury prone. So my thinking here was that it's kind of weird to draft a player banking on the idea of another player being injured. But for some reason, I felt like at one point or another, Millsap is going to get injured. And those minutes at the power forward position are going to open up and Jeremy Grant is going to slide right in. So I know this probably isn't the best reasoning for picking a player but when you're at round 13 you gotta reach sometimes and you gotta like pick something right so i end up going with grant now the draft ended up with bobby portis reggie jackson and zubak okay so that was the draft results now let's look at my team overall uh, where was i pick ninth right here Okay, so again, I just want to quickly outline my strategy for this draft 
was to just draft strictly players that are consistent, players that are safe, and just let my opponents beat themselves. As a lot of the times, players in fantasy will over will reach for players. Instead of taking an obvious all-star pick, they'll reach for like uh, a, a player that has huge potential, a huge hype. And I always feel like that's a mistake. And so many teams just eliminate themselves early from the from the playoff race just with picking unnecessary picks so my team started off really good with bradley beal in the first round then trey young darren fox lamarcus aldridge brooke lopez and shy gilgis alexander so my first six picks were really solid i have two really good point guards i have an all-star shooting guard super durable big men in aldridge and lopez and a really young and durable up-and-coming point guard like triple position player in shy gilgis now the latter half of the draft unfortunately i made a huge amount of mistakes here um and some of these at the time can be avoided with proper preparation it's important to remember if you are set on one specific player always have a backup plan just always have a backup plan for a secondary player that you can pivot to in case your main pick gets taken because it's always going to happen. And like for me in this draft, probably like three or four times, I was targeting Damian Lillard and he got picked right before me. I was targeting Abaka. I was targeting Sabonis. I was targeting Herder. And it just kind of worked out like the pick right before me just kept taking my guy and it, and it just kind of screwed me over and I was left in this mindset of, not knowing what to do and panicking. But I guess what I need to learn from this latter half of the draft is kind of have more foresight and think down the lines as you're not going to always get the guy you're going after. And uh, drafting players based off their performance in the Olympics doesn't work out either. (laughs) So sorry, Joe Ingles. So the latter half of my draft with Jared Allen, Joe Ingles, Terrence Ross, Derek White, Dwight Powell, Tarian Prince, and Jeremy Grant. Okay, so after um, finishing up this draft, the was it the first pick? Um, I think it was the first the guy that had the first pick. He ended up getting Anthony Davis, Pascal Siakam, Devin Booker, McCollum, Covington. Uh, Bogdanovich like he he had a really strong team in the beginning of the season and so did a couple other guys too now let's see the final results of the league and where we ended up and this is how the regular season went so I ended up in the first seed with 99 wins 60 losses and three ties So if you want to look at my schedule. So I started off um, facing the guy with Anthony Davis who totally roasted me. So I started off 3-5. And and then I won a close one, 5-4. And then I put on a a huge stretch of 7-2s. Three of them back-to-back and a 6-2. Lost two close weeks. And then kind of went on some pretty, you know, substantial win 7-1-6-3-7-2-6-3 lost a close one 4-5-6-3-5-4-8-1 then lost two close weeks at the very end so as you can see 
even though my team didn't have a lot of high upside and I just drafted players that are really safe, really secure and really um, reliable that over time, like I said, you kind of just slowly gain on the mistakes of your opponents. And I feel like this is a huge mistake that players have in fantasy where they're always thinking, what is that breakout player? Like they're always trying to find out that guy like Giannis who blows up one season or Pascal Siakam who has his breakout year. Or they're always thinking about who is that next guy this season who's going to be that like breakout amazing top tier pick. And unfortunately in fantasy, usually there's only like two, three, maybe four of those guys. And it's really hard to, you know, pick them out of the huge player pool. And I I know I'm going to keep saying this over and over, but I think it's a mistake to try to reach for try to reach for the players that's going to have the breakout year. And instead, you should just focus on picking the players that are safe and reliable that you know will get you into the playoffs through the regular season. Because let's face it, the whole point of the regular season is is just to make the playoffs. It doesn't matter really if you make the playoffs and you have a guy like, I don't know, like Jonathan Isaac or... Giannis or Pascal who's having like this amazing breakout season and you know you had the best value pick in the draft like that it doesn't really mean anything the only thing that matters is getting your team into the playoffs to put you in a position to make it to the finals and unfortunately um, because of the lockout the season didn't finish now I wanted to get back quickly before I end this in terms of my profile Now, my record of having a 74.2% win percentage, by no means am I trying to say that I'm an amazing fantasy player. A lot of these wins are me just using very simple, very safe strategies and beating up on teams that are far less interested in fantasy basketball than me. And what I'm saying is there are usually four types of leagues that I'll play. I'll play free leagues with random people on the internet, paid leagues with random people on the internet, free leagues with my friends, and paid leagues with my friends. Now, by far the easiest, in my opinion, is playing in random leagues with people on the internet. Even when you play on these leagues called LeagueSafe, where you play for money, but there's a website called LeagueSafe that holds the money in escrow as like a Uh, like a third-party banking system so that you can play a fantasy league for money with people all over the world and this website will hold the money for you and pay out the proper winner at the end of the season and they just take a little cut they take a little fee and i find that a lot of those leagues um maybe one third of the teams are like done like halfway through the season Either they draft a player like Steph Curry that gets injured and they get discouraged and they just quit. So a lot of these wins that I get in fantasy are just building these simple, safe, reliable teams and just beating up on lesser players. That's basically all it is. And I always feel like most people are just overthinking when they're playing fantasy. Now, when you are playing with friends that are really good at fantasy 
then it's a completely different story. I have a couple leagues where there I get maybe eight to ten players, but they're super competitive. So in that league, I kind of have to switch my strategy because a safe and easy strategy doesn't usually win in those leagues because my opponents are really good and they're not going to beat themselves. And those are you know the main leagues that I have with my friends. So yeah, so that's pretty much it. That's a breakdown of one of my fantasy basketball teams from last year, my general strategy, and some of the thought processes and things I think of um, going into the rounds for my picks. Uh, So I think that's pretty much it. I know this podcast uh, is kind of weird, but I am still trying to get better at this. I know this podcast probably isn't good. We're only on episode seven, but trust me, it will get better. I am working on it. Um, I am working on my speaking, my hosting, and you know, just trying to converse with the guests that I have on on interesting topics, as this is a foreign and new thing for me. So. Um, Yeah, so that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoyed this weird podcast on fantasy basketball. And and if you didn't, hopefully we'll have something good next week. So that's pretty much it. And peace. Thanks for watching.